trouble with the sound man is you don't know he exists until something goes wrong. But we have an incredible team in our, in our media team, Daryl York and Jeff Cates and Preston and Stephen Leonard, Trevor Heineman. Uh, I'm missing about 10 more, but they are incredible, and so I'm so thankful for, for them. But we have a lot to be thankful for. But if you had just been coming maybe the last eight weeks, or maybe today is your first time, then you might think that this right here is all there is to our story. That, that these eight weeks or, or these few months that we've had together, um, this is all there is to Mount Perrin North Canton campus. But we're a part of a larger church. We're a part of uh, Mount Perrin North Church of God down in Marietta. We're one of now two campuses. Um, but even Mount Perrin North is a part of a larger story uh, beyond just that campus on All Good Road there in Marietta. Um, Mount Perrin Church of God, uh, what we call Mount Perrin Central, uh, is a church down just inside the perimeter on 75. If you've ever been driving down 75, it's over on the right off Mount Perrin Road. Um, and that is the church that Mount Perrin North was launched out of, of as a campus in the 80s. But even if you go even further back than that, in like 1918, there was a group of people that formed the first church of God, the first Pentecostal church in the Atlanta area. And they just called themselves the Church of God. Very, very uh, creative, I know. Um, so then eventually... They bought some property over off 6th uh, Avenue, and they called themselves the 6th Avenue Church of God, or 6th Street, I think, Church of God. And then they eventually bought some property over off Hemp Hill Avenue near the Georgia Tech campus. And every time I think Georgia Tech, I obviously think North Carolina beats them. So uh, some of you Tech fans are like, I'm never coming back to this church ever. Um, but they, they bought some land off Hemp Hill Avenue, and they became known as the Hemp Hill Avenue Church of God. And then in 1960, a man by the name of Paul Walker and his wife Carmelita came there to pastor. And they pastored from 1960 until 1996, that church. And eventually, that one location there off uh, Hemp Hill Avenue, they moved to Mount Perrin Road to the present property that they have there. And in 1985, they were just landlocked. And they had a ton of people coming. I think at that point, they were up to like eight or 9,000 people attending or members that are, are part of their ministry. And so eventually, they expanded. And, and at one point, there were five locations, five campuses in and around Atlanta. And up to 12,000 people a part of that ministry. And in 1985, they looked for a piece of property up in Cobb County. And they found this piece of property. And they eventually uh, renovated that facility. They bought a, a church building, a building there from the Marietta Baptist Association. They renovated that building, did some new construction, and they opened in 1987 for the first service of Mount Perrin North Church of God. For a number of years, that was also the location of Mount Perrin Christian School. So we, they had that ministry from 1987 uh, under the, the associate pastorship at that location or the campus pastorship of Mark Walker from 1987 until 1997. In 1996, Dr. Paul Walker, who had been there since 1960, was elected to be the general overseer of the Church of God denomination around the world. And now there's somewhere between 6 million and 13 million members of that denomination. The reason we don't know is because in some countries, they only count men as members. So we know for sure there's 6 million of us, including all the men. It's kind of like the 5,000 miracle in the, in the Gospels. We don't know how many there were, but there could be up to 13 million. See, he was uh, elected to be the general overseer of the Church of God. So they disengaged all of those campuses, all of those churches to be autonomous, separate churches. And so Mount Perrin North in 1997 became its own church. So since 1997, we've been doing ministry there in Marietta as our own uh, church and looking for how God would use us. And I haven't been there that whole time, but some of you may have been. 
Um, and then over the last three or four years, God has really been stirring in our pastor's heart, our senior pastor, Pastor Mark Walker, um, who was named the senior pastor, he and his wife, Udella, in 97, as the pastors of Mount Perrin North, um, just been stirring in his heart, hey, what would God do in and through us to help reach new people? And so this kind of what we're doing today, it was really birthed out of that process. The first time I ever heard about it was in a Waffle House in Peachtree City at like 6 o'clock in the morning in September of 2008, and it just pumped me up. But So that was the first time I'd heard about it. So a couple years now, we've gotten to this process, and now you're here today because in 1918, a group of people got together and decided to meet in a tent because they wanted to form a church and be a community of believers. And so it's not just what you see with your eyes today. We have to understand that there's a larger story that's a part of this community of faith that we are because there were people that came before us who paved the way and, and did some incredible things to build God's church in Atlanta and then in Marietta and now in Canton. And as you think about that, if you can allow yourself to go that route, for me, I think, okay, if I believe that, that Christ is going to return one day. And so if he chooses not to return for however many number of years, I think, okay, if in 1918 a group of people got together in Atlanta, and then in 1987 a group of people got together in Marietta, and in 2012 a group of people got together in Canton, what's next? I mean, what, what's coming down the road? What, what, what's it going to look like? What stories will my children, I have four kids, my wife and I do, We have four kids. What stories will my kids tell about this community of faith, this larger story of God that he's writing in the world? Because if I'm not careful, sometimes I think that my relationship with God is only about me and God. Because I think, man, God bless me. God help me. God, I'm praying for this. I'm praying for, you know, a job. I'm praying for a a soulmate, a spouse. I'm praying for my kids. I'm praying for, you know, help me on this test, even though I didn't study. I prayed those prayers. Maybe you didn't, but God help me to whatever. And it's just me, 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 right? But what we as a church really got into just several years ago, around the same time we started talking about the idea of a new campus was for Mount Perrin North, What do we want to be about as a ministry? What's our mission, our vision? And since a lot of us are new to this, I just thought today we would spend some time talking through this. Um, For us as a church, we looked at the idea of what is it that Christ, what is it that God the Father called us to as a church? And if you go to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, you get what is called the Great Commission. And it's going to be on the screens if you don't have your Bible. But this is what it says in Matthew 28, 19. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And see, here's the problem. Here's the rub that we kind of ran up against is that it says, therefore, go and make disciples. But I think what we realized is we were making some really good Christians and not a lot of really good disciples. And there is a difference. If you look at the idea of disciple versus Christian, the word Christian is only used in the New Testament three times. Twice in the book of Acts and once in the book of 1 Peter. But the word disciple is used over 290 times in the New Testament. So even though we call ourselves Christians, which is not a bad term, but even though we call ourselves that, it seems that Christ, just before he left the earth, was commissioning his followers, which includes us, to go and make something else. Not go and make a bunch of regular church attenders. Not go and make a bunch of Christians, whatever that term implies, but go and make disciples. So what does that mean? The word Christian 
that I-A-N on the end of that means to belong to the party of, to be affiliated with. So to be affiliated with Christ. To be somewhat loosely connected, um, you know, if you're affiliated with the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or you're sick of both of them and you're moving out of the country, whatever. You're affiliated with something, but it doesn't mean that you, you kind of everything that they believe you, you line up with. It means that you're affiliated with them. You share some common values, some common goals. But the word disciple is much different. It says one who studies under a teacher and makes the instruction received his or her rule of conduct. It's the idea here that I'm not loosely affiliated with Christ. I'm taking what Christ taught, what he said, and I'm making that the foundation by which I live. The conduct of my life is shaped by this one that I am following. And there's a huge difference. Because if you're like me, you get extremely frustrated by the kinds of people that say they're Christian. But you look at their lives and you're like, man, if that's Christian and I'm Christian, I'm confused. I mean, if that's what it means to be a Christian, then, then I'm missing something here. Because it seems to me as I read scripture that there's, there's, there's more that God is calling me to. There, there's, some, there's some shaping, guiding, foundational things. And I'm not talking about legalism here, okay? But I'm saying that there are some things that Christ is calling me to for me to trade on his name. I mean, if I'm going to use the name of Christ, if I'm going to be a disciple, a follower of Christ, or if I'm going to call myself a Christian, a one that's affiliated with Christ in some way, then some of the things that I see, I, I, I go, man, I don't know that I don't know that we can both be talking about the same thing. And so today I thought we would kind of just dive into what we as a church decided when we really came to this understanding that there is a difference in going and making good Christians and going and making disciples. And what that looked like for us as a church, and I am burning up. I'm taking this jacket off. I'm so sorry. That's embarrassing. It's hot as a mess up here. Okay, so what we came to as a church is this, this phrase called engage life together. And you're going to see that. You're going to hear that. There, we've got some banners that we put out in the lobby. It says, we want to engage life together. And it's not just any life. We believe that what we want to do is engage the life of Jesus Christ. So anytime you see that, unless I typed it and made a mistake, that L is going to be capitalized. Because we are talking about a specific life that we are going to engage together, and it's the life of Jesus Christ. But we're not going to do that alone. We're not just going to kind of come on our own and be secluded and be isolated. But we're going to do that together in community with one another. And so what Engage Life Together is all about is it's about discovering and living a Christ-centered life. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, which we just referenced about three or four weeks ago in our, in our previous series out of Ephesians 1. It said, this is the message translation. It says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. So what we're saying here is, if I decide that I'm, I'm kind of in on this thing, I'm going to be a disciple, I'm going, to be, uh, I'm going to let my conduct be shaped by the one that I'm following, and that's Jesus Christ... Then scripture tells us right here in Ephesians 1 that it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. There's two components right there. We find out our identity and our purpose. Let me just ask you a question here. How much time and energy and emotional stress and strain could be saved for us if we understood who we were and why we existed? I mean, how much of our lives are spent struggling to understand who am I? I mean... Middle school is just a nightmare of trying to figure that out, right? And if you're in middle school, you know what I'm talking about. You don't know what, who you are. 
And you're trying to be who you want to be, but also maybe more so at that point, who other people don't want you to be. And there's the shaping context that's happening. And not just that, but for us, the lifelong struggle of why do I exist? Why am I here? What's my purpose? And so what we kind of came to the idea is if we're going to be a disciple, then we look to the life of Christ to understand who we are and what we're here for. And so what was it about Christ's life and what do we see modeled in his disciples that help us find these two things? And we came up with four things that we feel like are exhibited in the life of Christ. And it's a really cool diagram that's going to be up on the screen. But you can also see this if you walk into our lobby. Love God, making friends, serving others, sharing the story. It may look like this depending on where you see it. Loving God, making friends, serving others, sharing the story. And you notice that there's, there's arrows there. It's constant movement. Every one of those things doesn't stand on its own. It also helps to feed into the next thing. We, we are constantly growing, constantly moving, constantly being stretched by God. So let's look at a couple of these. Loving God, a couple of scriptures. Matthew 22, verse 37 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. But we understand from 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, that says we love because he first loved us. It's what we prayed a second ago. We want to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But we have to understand that for us to love God, we have to understand that he loved us first. I can't love God without a realization that I didn't initiate this relationship. I didn't start this thing. He started it before I could ever respond to it. We love because Christ loved us. So what does that look like from the church perspective? There's going to be each of these. There's a church perspective and there's a personal perspective. What is the loving God expression from the church? It's what you're experiencing right here. It's corporate worship. For us at this campus, that takes place on Sunday mornings. There are other corporate worship opportunities that we have at our Marietta campus. Other churches, they have multiple services. They may have a Sunday night service. They may have a Wednesday night service. We're looking at other expressions, other ways for us to do that. We've talked about a night of worship. We just come together and we just worship God and and, and respond to the love that he has given to us. But for us, primarily, the way that we experience the love of God corporately is in a worship service just like this. So that's what that looks like for us corporately. And we see in Hebrews chapter 10 that it says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Because there are folks that will tell you, and maybe you believe this, Listen, I don't have to go to church and be a Christian. Let me just tell you right now. That's right. That's true. You don't. But for me personally, and if you're not wired like this, that's fine. I believe that the most dangerous place I can ever be is secluded. The the most dangerous place I can be in a relationship with God, in my relationship with my wife, in my relationship to others is when I am by myself, think I have no one to connect to, no one to relate to, no one to talk to, no one that will encourage me, no one that will affirm me, no one that I can experience life together. That's an easy place for the enemy to attack me. It's not the end-all, be-all. If you come here, you can come here every single Sunday and go spend eternity in hell. I believe that. But I also believe that this is a place where you come to be encouraged To build one another up. We don't want you just to show up and never talk to people. We don't want you to come and never learn the names of the people around you. It's not so you can know some names. It's so that the narratives of our lives begin to intermix. And we actually build the kind of community of faith that we read about in scripture. And that is healthy for us as believers. But see, it's not just the church component that is important when we understand loving God. There's a personal application as well. 
And, and the way that we experience the love of God is something we call the spiritual practices. Or maybe you've heard the spiritual disciplines. Or maybe you would refer to it as like a devotional life. Or however you refer to that. And please hear me as I start talking about this. I am not talking about this really legalistic, you should feel guilty if you meant to read the Bible 30 minutes every day and you forgot today. Okay? But what I'm talking about is if you have a relationship with God, that there is an ongoing effort on your part to strengthen that relationship. I mean, the greatest example we have, and it's later in the book of Ephesians, but the greatest example we have on earth to understand the love of God is the relationship between husband and wife. That's what Paul tells us. And so I can only relate this to my relationship with my wife. You met her a few minutes ago. She came up and and did some stuff after the first song. My wife, Corey, is an incredible person. Let me just tell you that our relationship would be terrible if it was up to me. Okay? Because... I've got I've to be intentional about getting to know her, spending time with her, learning about her. She initiates that. We, we've known each other since we were 13, and once we started driving, I mean, we were 16, 17, 18 in college. Even after that, we got married. I mean, our favorite thing to do when we would get in the car for long car rides is just, like, she would ask me questions, and I would answer them, and I would ask her questions. And it was, it, it, it was really incredible, seriously. I mean, I may cry. No, I'm not going to cry. But I mean, it was really incredible. But what it allowed us to do is to know one another, to learn one another. But really, the greatest pressure cooker of our marriage is when we started having kids. You learn real quick who you are and who they are and who they're not. And, and we spend time together. And that's, that's, that's the only example I have to understand what, what it is that God really wants from me. He wants me to know him. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. That God has revealed himself to me. He has given me ways to know him. He's given me scripture. And I know sometimes if you're anything like me, you open the Bible and you read it and you're like, what? Or maybe you start reading and you start thinking about your grocery list. I don't know if you've ever done that. If you've never, it's really fun. You just start reading. And you, this is what the bread. I need bread. I don't. Okay, back to. So I, I, God gives us this. I'm ADD today. I'm sorry. God gives us this so that we can know him. We can pray and talk to God and, 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 and learn about him, express our hearts to him. We can spend time, if you're a journaler, just you write until your heart's content, expressing the things that God is speaking to you. Solitude, quiet moments, fasting, depriving yourself, sacrificing your desires and wants for those that God desires. This is what we're talking about when we say loving God. It's understanding, deepening that relationship. It's really about spiritual growth. The second thing is making friends. Everybody say making friends. When we say making friends, we're not just talking about the kind of people that you do walk in here and say hello and you think that's their name and you have no relationship with them. That might be the start of that. But we're really talking about a a deep, growing relationship with one another. Acts chapter 2 is an incredible example for this. At the end of that book, this is where the day of Pentecost has happened. They've come out and Peter's preached the gospel and thousands are saved and added to the church. And after that, we see this in Acts chapter 2. And there's, I'm just skipping a few verses, not to take it out of context, but really to hit what applies to us for time's sake. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere Hearts, there's several words that just jump out to me right there. They, themselves, all the believers, together, every day, together. They broke bread, because I like bread. Together. I mean, I think there's a lot about being together. 
There's a lot about relationships. There's a lot about being ingrained in others' lives so that we can go to a lunch after this and go, what the heck was he talking about today? We can get together in our homes. I'm in a small group. My wife and I, we're in a life group, and we we get together, and and I I told you a couple, we eat. I love to eat. We play games. I'm very competitive, right? And then we talk about what God's doing in our life. Sometimes it's very structured. Sometimes it's just very conversational. But it's investing in one another. We pray for one another, the needs that we have, the needs that we share. And that's really the church component of making friends is life groups. They meet various nights of the month, all throughout the month. Our group meets like the first and third Saturday of every month, like an hour and a half, two hours. It's, I love it. I look forward to the time. Yeah, we're busy. We've got four kids. We're coaching ball. We've got jobs. But we make it a priority because we want to spend time with these other people. It's an important component for our lives and in growing together with Christ. And if you say, hey, I, I think I want to do that. We encourage you, when you leave today, there's a next steps table. You go talk to them. We have groups starting up all the time. We'd love to help plug you into a group. And I think I've said it before, but if you start a group and you don't like those folks, we'll lie to them and tell them just the night didn't work for you. And we'll get you in a different group. We won't tell everybody that you didn't like them. We'll make, we'll find you a group. But go to the next steps table. Talk to them. They'll help you find a place where you can connect and make friends together. But see, the personal application of this is probably far more important. It's the idea that we develop caring relationships with other people. I mean, it's not just about getting into a group, though we believe that helps facilitate what we're talking about. But you could really develop those relationships here. Maybe you have other relationships that you immediately thought about when I started talking about this, where we're sharing life together. We're experiencing God together in some way. We want to have caring relationships with other people. And that happens seven days a week. It's a big deal. Serving others is the third component. Everybody say serving others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it says this. Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. The church component for this is twofold. One, our church ministries. Our church ministry teams. That happens for us here at this campus on Sunday mornings primarily. We turn this school into a sanctuary, into a church. Right now, there are a group of unbelievably dedicated volunteers on this hallway that parallels this wall serving nursery birth, you know, birth to two-year-old kids. There's a bunch of people right back here behind this stuff. It's preschoolers. I have a preschooler. That's difficult. There were 21 of them in a class last week. And God graced us with some folks that love those kids. Grade school, right across the hall, kindergarten to fifth grade. And God has blessed those people to serve. And and, and we need some of you to help us in that way. We're not asking you to serve every week. We're asking you to serve like once or twice a month. Come and, and, and invest in these kids. We need you to serve in media, setting this stuff up to help people see. Psalm calls it to taste and see that the Lord is good. Not just to come and hear that the Lord is good but to experience it as as fully as we can. 
We need to come early, some of you. You're early birds. You're up anyway. Come and help us unload trailers. Help us stay late. If you can't come early, stay late and help us load those trailers. Take all the equipment that we bring in and load it in. We call that logistics. It is a huge need for us. We have some incredible people serving in these areas. But we need folks. Guest services. I had somebody tell me last week I was shaking hands at the door. And this guy walked in and I said, hey, thanks for coming. He was like, yeah, we get it. You're glad we're here. Stop shaking my hand. If that was you, I'm sorry I just told on you. But we want to be like the friendliest church in this town. We want, we want you to know that we're glad you're here. And if you're friendly, we want you on this team. If you're not, we want you on logistics. I mean, we've got a place for you. There is a place for you to serve. This is what it looks like for us in church ministries. And you say, why, why do I need to serve? Because culture and, and society today would tell you that it's all about you. And it's okay for you to show up in any environment and consume everything and walk out and leave and that's okay. And I don't believe that's okay for us as the body of Christ. We came to Canton because we believe, based on research and much prayer and dialogue, that within as many incredible churches as there are in this community, there are 85,000 people within seven miles of this school who are unchurched. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. 85,000 people. Now, just because they're unchurched does not mean they're unsaved. But a large number of them are. And we want them to come here and experience the love of God. We want them to experience the love of God in our community. But if they come here, we need people to help set the stage. We need, we need people to come and help us create an environment where they can experience God as fully as possible. The second way that you can do this through the church is through community outreach opportunities, serving others opportunities. We have some folks here today from Bethesda Community Clinic. There's a table out in the lobby. Two ladies that we've met, Penny and Karen, I've had the opportunity to tour their facility and talk to them and hear their heart. They provide free and low-cost health care to people that otherwise couldn't get health care. And the story that I heard, if I hope I'm telling this right, the story I heard is they went and just did like a free clinic one day at a homeless shelter. And then they, they had no facility, so they just started doing the follow-up visits out of their car in the Kmart parking lot. Now they have a facility. And they need people to come and pray with the patients that they have. They need people that are medically trained in the medical industry to come and help them. They need people to give financially and help support them on a monthly basis so that, yes, they can pay the bills that they have, but also so that they can show community support to receive grants from, from other outside agencies. So I encourage you to go talk to them today and see how you might can serve there. We, we're partnering with Must Ministries here in Canton this summer. There are uh, thousands of children every year in Cherokee County who are a part of the free lunch program of the schools. Well, guess what? School ends in May and doesn't start back until August. What do those kids do for lunch in the summer? They don't eat. So we want folks that are going to say, hey, listen, I can make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I can make 20 of them a week. So 20 kids have lunch this week that otherwise would not. We want to give of ourselves. We want to be anything that we can be to serve others in a way that says, I received the love of Christ and I want to show that to you as well. If it's okay for me just to show up and consume, it becomes about me. But it's not about me. And it's not about you. Because here's what I believe. God is very efficient. If the only purpose to you getting saved was so you could go to heaven, I think immediately after you got saved, he would have taken you to heaven. 
But I think that there might be something that he wants you to do here. Now. We think that looks like serving other people. Giving of ourselves so that others can experience what we have experienced. But the personal application for this is serving others. Seven days a week, seeing needs and meeting them to the best of our ability. Looking with the eyes of Christ and saying, where are people hurting and how can I meet that need? The last thing for us is sharing the story. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is Jesus talking here right before he ascends back to the Father after he's already been raised from the dead. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. I think it's pretty important that it's one of the last things that we have record of him saying. That he wants us to tell his story. Be witnesses of what we have experienced ourselves. And so for the church component of this, it's a little different than the rest. More so than like a specific program, what we provide, because it's your story that you're telling. It's the story of God in you. We want to help equip you. We want to try to provide tools and resources. We may do that from this stage. We may provide some classes. We may filter it through our life groups and, and, and give you some, some materials and things that will help you to do that. We have some invite cards that you can pick up on your way out today that we have been giving out for a while. And there was one on this table that may have fallen off. But invite cards where you can take that and invite people to come here and experience it. If you don't really think, man, I can, I can pray with someone. I can lead them to Christ. Maybe you bring them here and let them experience this. We want to give you tools and resources. We want to tell you, hey... You know, like any week you want to bring people, we believe they're going to hear the gospel. But next week you really need to bring someone or the following week or this next series is very evangelistic. Get somebody here so they can experience God. We want to help you with that. The personal application of this really is to share your Jesus story. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year or 66 this year. You're looking for an opportunity to say, listen, God did something in me. And I believe he can do the same thing in you. Finding an inroad to do that. Like I said, maybe inviting them here to this place. If that's the best way that you can do that. But listen, here's the crazy thing about all this. I believe in these four things. I believe in loving God and making friends and serving others and sharing the story. But if you do these things and you just look at it as like a checklist, did that, made some friends, served some folks, shared the story, you don't get a gold star. You don't go to heaven faster doesn't ensure that you will it's not a magic formula there's no guarantee that this is the perfect thing that it's in christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for and we believe that kind of looks like this but ultimately it's about you growing in your relationship with god because here's the reality here's the truth and this is going to sting a little bit it hurts me Long-term church attendance, even long-term Christianity, does not equal spiritual maturity. Long-term church attendance and long-term Christianity does not equate to discipleship, making me a disciple of Christ. It doesn't. 
so what is what does what does that look like you know what i believe it looks like very simple i'm very simple minded you can see that today very simple here here's here's what i think it boils down to one question that i have to constantly ask myself what's my next step like what's the next thing i can trust god with What's, what's the next thing for me? Where, where's the area that I need to be stretched with God? Where's the area that I need the most growth in my relationship with God? And I think every person in this room can ask that question and answer that question. You've been walking with the Lord for 50 years. You've been walking with the Lord for five minutes. There's a next step for you. There's something in your heart, something in your life that God wants to continue to refine to reflect his son, Jesus Christ. I don't know what that is for you. I'm not sure what that looks like for you as an individual. I mean, for a church program, maybe you say, hey, I love God. I attend church pretty regularly, but I have no really good friendships, spiritual relationships, people to help me grow, people to encourage me. I'm not invested in anyone else's life. That's a next step for me. Maybe it's through our life groups. Maybe it's through something else, but this is a next step for me. Maybe I'm doing these things, but I am the most selfish person you have ever met that says they love Jesus. I don't serve anybody except me. Or maybe I'm not selfish. Maybe I just kind of give money to an issue or to a problem, but I never get invested myself. I never get my hands dirty. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe it's just more consistent attendance here or at another church. Maybe it's just more consistent spending time with God. Maybe it's finding a way to read God's word more. Maybe it's trying to find a way to pray to God when you're not in a crisis. Maybe it's in finding a way to trust God more with your finances. Maybe it's in asking God to help give you the boldness and the strength to live out Acts 1-8 and to be a witness and to share his story. I don't know what it is for you. But I know what it's not. I know it's not, I'm good. I'm a pretty good person. I attend church. I do the right things. And I'm just going to hang out until he comes back. I think that's really selfish. I think that's missing the point. Maybe it doesn't look like a church program for you, but if you're not in some way loving God, you may not understand the love of God. Because when I understand the love of God, I can't help but love him in return. You guys can come on up. If, if I'm not in some way making friends, investing in the lives of others, looking for relationships that encourage me, build me up, that I can do the same. If I'm not serving others, finding a way to give of myself, looking for ways that I can meet needs, I, I may... I may be too focused on me and not enough on others. If I'm not finding some tangible way to share the story of God with those in the world that need it, I may not understand the story. Because the story is a pretty big deal. And there are thousands of people right here that need to hear it. I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what your next step is. But I, I have to believe that for every one of us in the room, there's something. 
There's something else we can trust God with. Some of you, you're like, man, but I am a good Christian person. Awesome. Then what is it that God is really speaking into that sweet, intimate place of your heart where he's spoken a hundred times before and he's saying, yeah, but if you would give me this, if you would just do this like one thing, if you could give me this part of your heart that you've always held on to, if you could trust me with this, if you could look this way, if you could see these people, Down at the bottom of the screen, there's been these little hand things. And some of you are like, what in the world is that? When I was a kid, I was taught this, you know. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open it up and there's all the people. There's a problem with that. I don't believe God called all the people to be sitting in the church. I don't. I think if the only place you ever see the people of God is in the church then we are missing the point of the mission of God. I think we get out of the church and you see people in homes meeting together, encouraging one another. You see people when you come and drive by a school on a Sunday morning with a neon yellow vest thanking people for showing up in the cold. You see people serving at Bethesda Community Clinic Providing health care for those that can't afford it. You see people that don't feel like they have anything to give to God. Making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And praying over those sandwiches. That the children that eat them will know that it's more than a sandwich. It is the love of God. If the only place we see church people is in the church. I think we've missed the point. Bow your heads, close your eyes. God, it was not my intention to give us a history lesson today or even to sell a really cool vision. It was my intention to speak your truth and your word and to challenge us to find our identity and purpose in you in a Christ-centered life. And to ask ourselves one question as we leave this place today. What is my next step? Where are you looking to grow me, God? Where are you looking to stretch me, God? What truth do you want to give to me through your word, through prayer, through personal time with you? What is it you want to say to me? And how can I apply that for others? God, in this moment, would you just... Challenge us, convict us, call us, pull us to yourself so that we can experience your love and find ways to show it ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.